Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you know, our liturgical colors have changed. We've got our Advent wreath and we're singing, Lo, he comes in clouds descending. I love that. Okay, that's one of my favorite hymns and you all sounded phenomenal. Thank you for that. I love that hymn. So, uh, so here we are in this season of hope. Hope in the darkness. You know, we only need to turn on the television or, what, or read the newspaper, and it does seem dark out there. But this is the season of hope. It's the season of expectation for a promise to be fulfilled, because other promises have been fulfilled. We remember Christ's first coming, the promise of the Old Testament prophets who prophesied a Messiah would come. And indeed he did. And so we remember that first coming. We remember it on Christmas Day on the 25th of December and we remember it for the Christmas season which is 12 days beginning on December 25th. We're not in the Christmas season Although out there, um, they think we are, but we're not. I'll, I'll never forget the time when the children were little and I decided I was going to hold my ground and we were going to celebrate Advent and we were not going to put up a Christmas tree until the very last minute. Um, unfortunately, there were no Christmas trees to be had. So we traveled from one lot to another. We finally found a rather beleaguered little tree and put it up. And so I couldn't actually stand my ground that hard from then on. But we are in the season of Advent. Christmas has not come. We're in this season of expectation and hope. Because we're looking forward to the fulfillment of another promise. We're looking forward to the second coming, to Christ's return at the end of history as we know it, in the beginning of a new and wonderful age where sin will be done away with, where death will be done away with, where heaven and earth are joined together in a new creation when history as we know it ends And a new and glorious age begins. You see, history is not cyclical. That's a pagan worldview. History had a beginning. It had a cataclysmic midpoint that was only seen at that point in time by angels and a handful of shepherds and some wise men who came to see it. But it has an end point. That's what scripture talks about. History as we know it is linear. There is a future that God has already spoken about. There was a beginning. There was Christ who divided time in two with his incarnation. We know that because we mark time by that. We mark our years by that. We say before Christ, B.C., 
the years before Christ and the years Anno Domini in the year of our Lord after his birth. He split time in two. And there is a future end point when this history comes to an end, this sin-ridden death, death living into death world will come to an end and a new one will be made. And that's what is reflected in these readings that we have today. All of them look at this historic timeline and our place in that timeline. At the beginning of history, God, who is outside of time, outside of history, because he always existed and always will, he created He put into place, he started history going with all of the creation, the apogee of which was the creation of humanity. As Isaiah put it, you, O Lord, are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. But as we know, that relationship was ruptured by humanity's disobedience and pride and sin entered into this world. And so death did also. But God already had a plan. He already had a plan to bring back into relationship his beloved creation. Both all of the creation out there and humanity that he had created. And the plan was to do that through a people who he set aside to be a chosen people through whom this relationship that had been broken would be made new. He brought them out of exile in Egypt. He brought them to the edge of a land that he was going to give them and told them to go in and enter and take it. And yet they did not trust him, and they were again disobedient. And so there are 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, but he did not leave them alone. His presence went with them. And he told them, construct a tabernacle that you can pick up and you can move with you. And in the tabernacle, place an inside holy of holies where you will keep the Ark of the Covenant in which are the Ten Commandments, the stones of the commandments, Aaron's rod that budded and the manna eventually from the wilderness wanderings. And so the tabernacle moves with them, but it represents God's Shekinah glory. As they move, the tabernacle is with them, with God's presence glowing out, flowing out from the tabernacle. And eventually, after the 40 years of wilderness wandering, they enter into the land And it's a wonderful land and they settle in, but they forget what God has done for them. And eventually they ask for a king. God is not great enough to be their king, but they want a human king. And God gives them first Saul and then great King David under whose reign uh, peace comes in and and the boundaries are extended. And then his son, Solomon, builds a temple, again, to the specific details that God 
gives him for the construction of the temple. No longer is the tabernacle necessary because their wandering is done and they're settled in Jerusalem. And so they build a temple and God's presence, his Shekinah glory again, is found in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is and where God's mercy seat is found. But after Solomon's death, It spirals downward and downward and downward again. And the prophets are sent because the kingdom is split in two with the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And prophets keep being sent to bring the people back, to tell them of their disobedience, to call them back to repentance and a relationship with God. It's what the psalmist said. Did you notice that it's repeated three times in that psalm? Restore us, O God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance and we shall be saved Come in great power amongst us. Show us the light of your countenance and we shall be saved. But they all do what is good in their own mind and they don't follow God. And Isaiah strides into this time, about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, And he acknowledges we've all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. And he prophesies exile. And the northern kingdom is taken into exile in Assyria and the southern kingdom is taken into exile in Babylon and the temple, the temple of God's presence is destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and Isaiah prophesies return and there is return and the temple starts to be rebuilt And Isaiah calls out, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And he prophesies Messiah, a suffering servant. And it happened 700 years later with the birth of Christ. God had indeed torn open the heavens and come down. See, the beautifully built temple that in Jesus' day shone from the hilltop of Jerusalem. Herod had rebuilt it even more magnificently than Solomon had the first temple. It was covered in marble so that you could see it shining from miles and miles away. But it has become corrupted. It is no longer the place of God's presence. It is no longer the place for prayers of the people. The corrupt leadership had wrested it from the people, from being a place of prayer. It had become a place of power for the elite, and that is what it represented a powerful elite. It's why Jesus went in and overturned the tables of the money changers. 
was no longer the presence of God, and yet it looked from the outside stunningly beautiful. And at the beginning of chapter 13, which is where we find our gospel reading today, a little bit earlier from today's gospel reading, they're coming out of the temple. Jesus and his disciples are coming out, and one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And all that remains of that temple is the Wailing Wall. Indeed, 70 years later, Titus, nephew of the then emperor, came in. He besieged Jerusalem, which is what Jesus is talking about, will happen in this era before these present die. It did indeed happen. Seventy years after Jesus' birth, it was raised to the ground, but it went through a really long siege. There was cannibalism going on. It was a terrible time. There was no food, no drink, and eventually it was completely destroyed. But you see, the temple of God was already walking amongst us. John's Gospel says, The Word was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us. That same term as the tabernacle in the wilderness, the place of the Shekinah glory of God, God's holy presence that came with the Israelites through the wilderness wandering into Jerusalem is now living and walking in Jesus Christ himself. The end of the age did not come with his death resurrection and ascension for when he ascended he said I promise you that I will send my Holy Spirit and at Pentecost all of those who have been baptized in Christ received his Holy Spirit so the tabernacle the temple is now us We, corporately and individually, are the temples of the Holy God. Tabernacle, temple, Jesus, the temple, and now Christians, this community, each one of us individually. But that's not the end. There will be a time... When God will freely walk amongst his people, there is a veil right now that separates earth's realm from heaven's realm. It's close that we can touch, but we can't see it because there's a veil separating a holy God who consumes sin. And as sinful people, Uh, We would be consumed, the entire world would be consumed, but there will be a time when he comes and history will come to its end when Jesus returns and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and that veil will be no more. 
N.T. Wright describes it this way, a thin but opaque curtain hangs in the midst of reality, a bright veil between heaven and earth, which will, at the end of the age, come down, and heaven and earth will be joined together, a new creation, the end of history, the beginning of a new era. But we live in that in-between time. We live in the time between the first coming, in this hope-filled time of the second coming. And during that time, we're to stay alert. We're to be about God's work. We're to be doing his kingdom work. Again, in the words of N.T. Wright, to believe in God's future is to see why it is vital to stay alert and take action in the present. And we've been equipped to do so. Paul tells the Corinthians that in his letter to them, in his first letter to the church in Corinth. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind. So have we, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened amongst you, so it has with us so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift neither are we he has given each and every one of us a spiritual gift as he comes and dwells in his spirit within us so he gives us spiritual gifts as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ he will strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the potter's earthen vessels that we heard about in Isaiah have received the very breath of God's own spirit. The potter not only formed them, but has empowered them. We're all the, the vessels of the potter. We've all been made by him, but just as the Corinthians, we've got a few chips and cracks. We've got a few broken bits, right? Um, I do have a few chips around the place. So sometimes we can think, well, I'm just a broken old vessel. How can God use me? Right? What can he do with me with all of my chips and clips and cracks? around the place. There's a story of a, of a water carrier and uh, he had two pots and each day he'd go down to the river and he'd fill both pots up and he'd carry them up the hill where uh, there was a beautiful palace and he'd pour them into the cistern so that the people there could uh, have the water readily at hand. But every day the one pot was emptied out and the full water was there and it was emptied out into the cistern. But the other pot had a lot of cracks in it. And so half of the water had leaked out before it got to the top and was emptied into the cistern. And after two years, the cracked pot was just feeling so bad about himself and he was so ashamed that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing because he only ever delivered half of the water that he was supposed to be delivering. 
and he couldn't stand it anymore and he said to the water carrier, I'm so ashamed, I'm not doing my job properly. And the water carrier looked at him with compassion and said, there, look at the flowers on your way up. So the next day he went up and he looked at the flowers and they made him feel a little bit better because they were so beautiful on the side of the pathway. But he got to the top and still he only had half of his pot filled with water and he turned to the water carrier and said, the flowers are beautiful, but I'm still only doing half of my job. And the water carrier turned to him and said, I knew your flaws. Don't you know? Didn't you see? I only planted seeds of flowers on your side of the path. You've been watering them all these years. It's only because of your water that they've grown up and been so beautiful. The master potter knows all of our cracks and flaws as well and will use us and use those to his glory. It was always intended that one pot filled completely was able to give all of his water. The other one was there to give half of the pot with water but to make these beautiful flowers for everybody to see. See, we still have work in this in-between time. We're in his story. We're in history. We're in God's history, in his story. There was a beginning. There was a point when he himself came and dwelt amongst us and remains with us. But there's an end point to the story. And in that in-between time, we have a job to do. We have kingdom work to do, even though we might be broken pots. He knows our flaws, and he will use them to his glory. In the words of today's collect, give us grace, O God, to cast away the works of darkness, so that when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.